I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics from personal stories to hot button issues. We cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Sarah Michelle Gellar, Buffy the Vampire. Now the Backstreet Boys are all grown up with their to We Stand Together, an academic pop culture symposium. It is so true. We are the professors of pop culture. I'm Caitlin Bitsagai. I'm Lauren Brickman. And you know, we're a couple of smart people talking about some dumb topics. There we go. That's mm -hmm. it. That's the whole thing. We've both taught at the college level. We have master's degrees and we sit around talking about stuff like this. So what, what the heck? What is standing, Lauren? Standing is being an obsessive fan of something. You know that. I know that. The hundreds of people listening to the show know that. <laughs> and this week, Caitlin, I got to say, I am standing hard for something that I I honestly started watching because I thought I'd be lukewarm on it. But I am here to tell you, I'm coming in hot this week with a true new standum of the Mighty Ducks reboot. Wow. This is incredibly on brand. Tell us about it. <laughs> It is really on bread. Well, okay. So, yes. Would we assume I would love it because it's a property that Joshua Jackson has historically been attached to? Mm -hmm. Correct. But I was worried that without his presence, I might not love it. But it does right. still have ice skating, which I love. Lauren Graham, which I love. And 
perfect for this week, Emilio Estevez, which I love. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And these things together work very well. Getting Lauren Graham was a big coup for this. Yes. Lauren Graham as a hockey mom is everything. It makes all the sense in the world. She's so good at it. Yeah. She's really good in everything. And this like fits her tone. Mm-hmm. They, they had to. They had to roll out a big blank check for this because it's like, we need Graham. Well, I'm pretty sure she's like an executive producer. I think she's double dipping on the pay scale. There we go. Yeah. Anyways, um, once my ankle is healed from surgery, I will be recommitting myself to <laughs> no. my childhood dream of being a hockey player um, with the sole intention of booking season two. I want to play a child. I want to play a mom because this is a show that really celebrates hockey moms. Finally. And you need to beef up that special skills portion of your resume. The ice skating, it's just not there fully. Yeah, I will. Famously, I retired from ice skating after being kicked off the ice dance team for too many injuries in one season. Okay. Um, So it's a dream that was never fulfilled (laughs) uh, completely, you know. So anyways, um. What are you standing this week, Caitlin? Well, listeners know about the sort of circle of life of this podcast, which Mm -hmm. is that when one of us gets into something, they start a counter Mm -hmm. on their computer to see when the other one will start watching. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So now we've started it for Mighty Ducks reboot because I haven't seen that. Okay. Uh, You know, about a month ago, you mentioned you were rewatching. Yes. Private Practice, which I said I had never seen, despite, of course, being devout Grey's Anatomy Stan. Right. And I decided to take the leap. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am mm-hmm. I leaving some Addison Montgomery on the table when she's arguably one of the top three characters of all time of Grace? Mm-hmm. And she has six seasons there for me. And so I've jumped in and I enjoy it. It took me some time to figure out the rhythms, how it's yeah. different than Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just admire the casting director for this show, not just for the core cast, but if you want to play a patient on this show, you need at least 100 television credits. Like, at least. They at least. don't book just a rando. Or if you've done like 10 shows, great. Yeah. Come back when you've done 90 more. Because every single patient or guest doctor is someone you're like, who is that? Who is that? I was like, oh, the neighbor from Big Love for like two seasons. Mm-hmm. Right. I know her. Or you're like, Corky's sister from Life Goes On. Yes. Felicity's roommate. Gotcha. Like, it's all people you know like that. Like, there's familiarity just coming through the screen. And it's what we need right now. Yeah. Um, So as of today, where are you in this watch? I'm on season three. I'm so proud. I'm really proud. You've done it. Violet. Mm-hmm. Let's just say Violet has had the baby. Uh, that's I mean, Oof. I, I kind of you know, know it even if, more. <laughs> if you know, you know. And if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what we always stand week to week? Five star reviews. Yeah, we do. And we've got a great one this week from Brady OC. The title is We Stand This Pod. Okay. Fun, funny, charming. What more can you ask for? This is my pop culture Bible. And I think y'all should hear the good word from them too. Wow. 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 I we didn't say we're the word of God, but someone did. Wow. Thank you so much, Brady OC. That is that. I'm going to whisper this review to myself tonight as I try to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but someone we love and stand as much as a five-star review is here with us today. You know him from college humor and, of course, from the Gadget Hour. <laughs> Please welcome Grant O'Brien. Oh, my goodness, Joshua Jackson. Oh, my God. Oh, that haircut. Oh. 
what am I going to do? Now I'm going to be thinking about that all day. I had an unbelievable crush on Joshua Jackson uh, without knowing it as uh, when I was, you know, uh, uh, we. Oh, my God. I've never stopped having an unbelievable crush on Joshua Jackson. You, Grant, you probably lived in L.A. by the time he was on Broadway in Children of a Lesser God. So you didn't see that? Oh, I was. I I mean, and also when I say I've had a crush Mm -hmm. on him. I, I can't name anything past Cruel Intentions, but I don't need it. I, yeah. I That's like, that's as far as I got, I you but that's, that's plenty. He really has done so much for culture. I, I, I think it honestly is, I have a crush on his haircut, <laughs> because I don't think I can tell you anything about that character in The Mighty Ducks. Like, I don't know what he's like as a dude. Uh, it's, there's, he was just, you know handsome with uh with he had uh, a lot of hair he had a big old mop of hair oh yeah you better believe because so the mighty ducks reboot only they're doing weekly episode drops so i only had four to watch so then i i immediately watched (laughs) all three movies afterwards because wow all i know how to do is binge things which is the one where they at the end they sit around the campfire singing uh mighty ducks 2 d2 that's mighty ducks 2 that yeah, rules. it's that movie's yeah. awesome. The best. Is that the one with Julie the Cat? Daphne? Yes, and that is also the one where I my brain exploded when I realized Adina Menzel's husband plays the Bash brother guy. The new one that comes in in that second movie is Aaron Lore, Adina's husband. Adina Menzel's first husband is in private practice. Yes, I think he that's, is. So look at this. Mm-hmm. Look at the look at this full mm-hmm. circling that we're doing. Everything's interconnected. Nah, right. Idina Menzel did an arc, but she's not associated with his character. However, and this is one of the worst moments ever in television, Tay Diggs passes by and then does like uh like a checkout of her like head to toe and is like, I like her. Mm-hmm. And it was like I just want to die. Like oh. why did you put this scene in the show? How have why? you not seen private practice until now? Uh, it's like, I know, right? That's astounding to me. Well, here's the thing. And we talked about this uh, last month when Lauren was going on about it. I just didn't like it at first. And it was week to week, you know? So it's like. Sure. I Which can't... again, I'm done with. Yeah. <laughs> I was done with early. I, I was like, I don't know. Is this going to go on for one season? And I will have wasted 20 hours of my life. Now we know it's six. So I can waste more, which is what I want. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't. I can't get invested if it's going to end that quickly. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny you bring up Joshua Jackson's hair, though, because in Cruel Intentions, it's maybe his worst hair ever. I know, ever. Mm. I know. And, well, and that's why I stopped. It's, it's <laughs> the, the, He started playing a gay character, which should have been right up my alley, and they're like, oh, never mind. That's stupid. He he. If it helps, he goes back to his natural color after Cruel Intentions. So he'd have to. If, that, it, if, that, if that helps you go into his body of work beyond Cruel Intentions. I, I, honestly, it could be that Cruel Intentions, I just did a flyby and got crushes mm. on everyone else because, mm. oh my God. Ugh. Yeah. Oh yeah. my yeah. goodness. Sexy movie. What can we do? The intentions are cruel. But you know what's not cruel? The movies of John Hughes, which is what right. we're what here to talk about today. That's great. Look at her. Look at her. Thank you so much. Now, Grant, we always like to uh, share with our listeners a little bit about our credentials on the topic. And I have to say, for the first time in a while, I'm feeling pretty good about my credentials this week on John Hughes because I got not one, but three credentials. And oh, my gosh. Yeah. My first credential is as a teenager in high school, I would go to film camp in the summer and you had to write an essay as well as submit a film. And... <laughs> 
I wrote my first essay that got me into film camp was about John Hughes. I wrote about the Brat Pack movies. Uh, my other credential is that early on in trying to figure out Twitter, I <laughs> um, got John Cryer to play along with a bit that he was my uncle. That's awesome. That's very was, cool. It was short lived, but very fun. And my last credential is I have met Molly Ringwald. Wow. She was very lovely. How's she doing? It, uh, it was very lovely. She was, um, it was at this benefit show for uh, like celebrating the work of Jonathan Larson. She's very good friends with Jonathan Larson's uh, old producer, Victoria Leacock, who was an alumni of my college. Long story short, I was at this event with one of Jonathan's classmates who's like a mentor of mine. And Molly was like very, very nice, like came to her table, was like, oh, you what? You knew it. Like she was like very, 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 very nice. That's lovely. Uh, I'm, wow. it's, I might be making this up, but I feel like she wrote a book a couple years ago and I think I saw an interview with her and she seemed wonderful. So, uh, so that's it one. Seems right. It so seems that's who, knows? <laughs> who knows if that was a fever dream that Grant had, but you know, she spent good. a lot of time in France and I think it really did her there you go. well. Wait, and when you say credentials, you mean things I half remember about Molly like mm-hmm. Ringwald? Is that a hundred percent? That definitely was. I'm on board for sure. Yeah, well, Caitlin, you have a really good credential this week. Yeah, I think. well, it's and I wonder what you guys will even think I mean by this. But I often use Uncle Buck as a verb mm-hmm. to mean like I could get Uncle Bucked and I can't. And now I will say I would like you guys to guess what I mean by that. I will say I often mean it when I'm going to my storage unit. Oh, I had an what idea. You, and now I'm not sure. What do you think it means to get Uncle Bucked? Or I'm cleaning out a closet. You get Uncle Bucked. <laughs> no person has ever understood what I meant. Well, because just because I don't, I, I almost thought I had it, but it sounds so much like cleaning, which is not something that I really land on with Uncle Buck. <laughs> yeah. Is it that you're going to end up coming home with something you forgot you owned? <laughs> no, there's that scene that he opens and all that stuff falls on him. And then finally, it's a bowling right. ball. Oh, right. That's and your reference for that? Always. I always, that is my number one scene I think of at Uncle Buck. And I used to have a storage unit that was strangely uh, like elevated. It was the second level. Yeah. So I had to look up into stuff and I would just think about that scene all the time. How stuff was going to fall. See, when you first said it, I assumed it had something to do with the fact that you've given too many of your friends permission to enter at your home without your knowledge. (laughs) It's all related. I thought it meant you were raising children that were not your own. Yeah. I am raising Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. 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 In a way, we all are. Yeah. And we've done a bad job, but we've not we've not done a great job. It worked out in the end. He seems okay. He's, we've he done okay. He's, He's having fun. He's we having fun. Okay. He we just married Brenda Song. Yeah, mm, it's true. Baby. They're happy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Everyone's doing great. Um, yeah. But we're here to talk about the movies of John Hughes today. And you, Grant, you were saying uh, before we started that you that you're living in the world of Grant. Of John Hughes right now. Yeah, I'm working on a, 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 a teen movie screenplay. And so I've been going to a lot of John Hughes stuff because speaking of everybody's doing great, I what I love about John Hughes movies, in particular, uh, his movies about mm-hmm. kids, is that it's for the most part everybody's doing fine in those. Like, there's no... It's, there's, they're very small problems in John Hughes movies, which I love because 
as an upwardly mobile white person. Those are the problems that I have. <laughs> they, they really speak to me. And, and the things like, oh, you know what? I would like one great day in Chicago. That does That is a problem that I've been facing. Um, it's uh, that uh, if I'm going to films about children, mm -hmm. I badly want a John Hughes vibe over like a euphoria mm -hmm. vibe, not a film. Right. But, like, uh, I don't want anyone on drugs i don't want the risk of death i want like it's like what's my future gonna be like that's mm -hmm. that's yeah. the kind of like struggle that i that i enjoy yeah yeah a struggle that feels safe for the most part mm -hmm. yeah, exactly yeah i it's don't want anything bad to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i worry about kids when i see them in movies and i want them to all be fine yeah uh i want them to, to, <laughs> to fall in love or not maybe they won't fall in love but that'll be the worst thing i will say when you rewatch John Hughes movies, there are a couple of B plots that I'm very concerned about. Ooh, <laughs> boy. That's yeah, when I say everyone's nice to each other, I mean in the movie. They're not nice to a lot of their mm -hmm. audience. Well, even each other. As 16 Candles, I rewatched recently Ooh. and I'm like, I am worried about the health and safety of a few of you. But I, it's okay. Uh I, I use 16 Candles as a reference for this uh, uh, movie I'm mm -hmm. working on um, and uh, then rewatched it. And I was like, Jesus, I shouldn't have said that. That's that's awful. If, if people haven't seen it, I mean, what you're obviously referring to, it's one of the worst things on film, is a character named Long Duck Dong, yeah. who's, who's an Asian exchange student uh, who's, the, the joke is like, who would think this Asian man is attractive? Uh, he, he's, uh, they sound a gong every time he appears on screen. It's astounding. Yeah. It's astounding. Yeah. I do have to say one of my contemporary favorites is uh, To All the Boys I Loved Before, P.S. I Love You, the Lord, Jean Cooney movie. Mm -hmm. And there's the scene where her, um, if you haven't seen To All the Boys I Loved Before, Laura Jean, the, 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 the main character, is a Asian woman and her and her teenage sister are like obsessed with 16 candles and her boyfriend's watching it and he's like this is really offensive why do you like it and they're like <laughs> Jake Ryan and like it's so cute the way that they like navigate like calling it out but also calling it in is one of the most endearing moments in that movie and i love it so much well said ooh wow. well said calling it out but calling it in well said i love that part ooh, of the movie whoa. anyways i think we've proved to our audience that grant <laughs> you're ready to take on the challenge of playing our first game today Ooh, yes, I am. Terrific. You're, you're, you're clearly of the John Hughes world. And so we're going to play a very special edition of Name That Tune, because one of okay. my favorite parts of any John Hughes film is the soundtrack. In fact, some of my favorite songs and artists were discovered through his movies. So I am going to play you a song that underscores okay. an iconic moment in a John Hughes film. Mm, and I want to okay. see if you can not only name what movie it's from, but bonus points if you can also name the name of the song and artist. Okay, this is great. I love this game. I'm excited. I'm so excited. All right, here we go. Okay. You think you know it? I 
think I know. I'm going to say weird science for the movie. Ooh, unfortunately, that is incorrect. But I will play uh, you a few more uh, seconds of the song and give you one okay. more shot. Wait a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, wait. It, that's not the hook. That's not the hook of the song, is it? Because I know that. You do song. know this song. Uh, I I certainly know that song, but I know that I know I know that song, but I know I know the hook of that song. Okay, I'm I'm sweating through my shirt because I know I know this. Uh, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say "Pretty in Pink." So close, but uh-huh. it's actually Sixteen Candles. No, that's from 16 it's, Candles. If you were here by the Thompson twins, it's the ending theme. Oh. It's at the end of the movie. And this is actually a, a song that's become so iconic. It's not only in 16 Candles. It's also been featured in Bob's Burgers, Scream Queens, Fun Mom Dinner, Central Intelligence, American Dad, Dummy, and the iconic Not Another Teen movie. Oh, well, <laughs> then... Say no more. I'm honestly upset because I just watched 16 Candles. <laughs> I, I literally was just talking about how I just watched 16 I know, Candles. I was, I was. I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. to tell you, it's going to get worse from here because my, I have early onset dad <laughs> syndrome of like, oh, he's the, he's the actor in, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, the movies, the tall actor. And so it's going to be a lot of that with these songs. I'm, so, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to see. But I have to say, Weird Science was a really great guess. Pretty in Pink, mm-hmm. very good guess. Oh, these oh. are, these are, you're coming in hot. We love to see it. I understand the world that the song might yes. belong in. So that's a start. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so far, no points on the board, but don't worry. You got four more sure. chances. So let's see. Great. And okay. I'm going to play okay. you uh, this next clip. It makes it easier, easier to is Otis Redding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the film is some kind of wonderful? No. It, okay, it's a, all right. Cool, uh, it's cool, a cool. film that's already been mentioned. No. <laughs> oh, crap. I know this is, that's the most embarrassing answer it could have been. Uh, Uncle Buck? <laughs> Okay, sure. It's a it's think about this this per, I'll give you one more hint. This is a John Hughes film where music is not just an important storytelling device, like it's mm-hmm. part of the world. Mm-hmm. It is if you say 16 candles, I'm gonna go drown myself <laughs> in my bathroom. It's not 16 candles. Okay, cool. Um, but it is 16 candles adjacent. <laughs> Pretty in pink. Yeah! This is one of my favorite movie moments of all times. It's the scene where um, Molly Ringwald's character and Annie Potts' character are hanging out at the record store before she's going to go on her date with with Andrew McCarthy. And Ducky, John Cryer, walks in and he just starts this epic lip sync. That's right. I mean, of course. And John Cryer's very good. 
he's so good. And like, and he does bits on Twitter, and that I really respect. <sighs> you gotta yeah. love it. You gotta love it. He he won the Emmy for two and a half men. That's, how do you do that? How do you do it? You don't. I, he did. Can't say I've ever seen two and a half men. No, so I don't. No, but know. I assume I, it's bad. I mean, I maybe I and also I I blew that scene. So maybe I'm I just like John Quire's vibe because I'm clearly <laughs> not that familiar with his work. <laughs> All right. Well, you, we got there, and we're gonna keep getting there. Let's see if you know. Sure. Let's see if you recognize song number three. Oh no. Well, this is uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You nailed it. This one, I mean, I'm not, I'm not totally useless at this game. I can, I can play a little bit. That's <laughs> that song has to be written as a joke, right? Like that, that can, that can only be for, I mean, a fun joke, but that's not a serious thing people listen to, like as a piece of music. <laughs> What if you got in someone's car and they were just playing? <laughs> well, it's wait, wait, wait. I want to hear the end of this. I want to hear the end of the song. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. It's funny you should say that because one of the reasons why I wanted to include this was because Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of the only John Hughes films that he directed that he didn't release a soundtrack for because he was like, a soundtrack for this movie just won't play. Like, he was just like, no. So the um it wasn't hmm. until i think like 2016 like after john hughes had passed that they actually like released an official uh ferris bueller soundtrack wow I, they'd be tough to do because i mean the biggest mu- music moment in that is the the uh, beatles lip sync mm-hmm. it is the beatles version in that right mm-hmm. i think it is I think the, so. the, it's that has to cost a fortune to like just put on your sound. Well, and apparently he was just like, I didn't think the songs would work together as a continuous album, which is so counterintuitive to the rest of his soundtracks. That's also like very artistically mm-hmm. driven, considering it's a soundtrack for an yeah, like a move. Like they're just existing. Yeah, that can't possibly be the point of a movie soundtrack. What do you mean, uh, John? I don't know, but he. One of the other things that was really quirky that I read was that um, apparently, though, he sent a hundred thousand vinyl singles containing two songs from the film to his fan club mailing list. That was the only thing that in his lifetime he did to acknowledge the soundtrack. I wonder which songs. I think this was one of them, <laughs> but I'm oh, not sure. Dear. You just put this I'm on sure. vinyl. <laughs> you get out your record player. Go, I don't know for sure. If if, oh, if yeah. one of the 100,000 people who got the vinyl is listening to this, please let us know what two songs were on that vinyl. I actually assume that's basically I our, assume. Our, base, our listener base is people that were once on the John Hughes playlist. Are fan clubs still a thing? Do people still join fan clubs for something? <sighs> In a way, I mean, there's different versions because there's like on Cameo, Mm -hmm. you can join a fan club. And I suppose like the whole idea of a of a parasocial social media relationship, like we kind of live in a world driven by fan clubs now. Well, that's what Patreon is. Patreon's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great that's a great example. Yeah, that's exactly. They've all gone. They've become the only way to make money in entertainment. Yeah. So here we are. Here we are. All right. Well, I have. I we've got two left, but I'm. I'm convinced you're gonna get this next one very That is Don't You Forget About Me yeah, uh, from The Breakfast Club. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. 
yeah. a movie which I actually I I also rewatched recently um, and is excellent. Mm-hmm. And like looking at it now, it's like they made that movie for eight dollars. Yeah. This movie, this same movie <laughs> has one location. Like someone told John, we need something cheap, I know. baby. It's we brilliant. gotta we gotta get this really going. Brilliant. That's why the play is so popular in high schools. Is there a there's a, a stage version of it and it gets done or it used to. I don't know how popular it is now, but back in the day, oh boy, was it popular. This was so funny to me though. Like I remember thinking the Breakfast Club soundtrack was like iconic, but in researching for this episode, I found out that the Village Voice gave it a scathing review when the movie came out. It got a D minus in the paper. And uh apparently <laughs> The Simple Minds who wrote Don't You Forget About Me like tried to distance themselves from the movie and from the song and the Village Voice like applauded their efforts uh, for trying to distance themselves and I find that so funny. I'm going to circle back to like why are you reviewing movie soundtracks as an album? (laughs) That's not what they're for everybody. It's yeah it's you you score a moment in the film. It doesn't have to stand on its own. This was the 80s baby. That was the 80s. (laughs) They just the village voice just had to fill column inches. (laughs) It's just a total misunderstanding of the product. And then like why it's like Michelin going out and reviewing McDonald's and being like wasn't up to we weren't going yeah. for that, bro. That's not what we were about. Oh, how dare the well, village voice, though? Here's one more. We got one final song for you to guess. Let's let's see. Okay. I'm I'm gonna say mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. So I'm gonna take a shot again. Okay. I'm gonna say weird science <laughs> for like the third time. <laughs> Am I, I right this we're, time? We're coming full circle. Unfortunately, that is incorrect. It did feel that way though. I will say uh John Hughes is listed as a co-writer on this song. <sighs> of the song. Mm-hmm, but it's really just because you may have noticed. You hear actors talking. Let me give it another shot. Uh, uh, Is it vacation? We're getting closer. We're not there. Okay. But we're closer. Oh, oh! You've got it. You know you Mr. Mom. No. A podcast. (laughs) I'm sure I was right. You're you're so close. Because I can take anything sounds like something that Hulk Hogan would say. Yeah. It's the song, I Can Take Anything um, (laughs) by ETA from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You know what my problem was? Here was my problem. I misunderstood the prompt. I thought yeah. I was looking for movies that he only wrote but didn't direct. And that's not what you said. Um, hey, but it, it happens. It happens. You know what, Grant? It was a great effort. I want your audience to like me and know <laughs> that I know things. Uh, uh, so just everyone listening, trust that I I really do understand uh, how film works. We've... We've got a social media follow mm-hmm. on the line for mm-hmm. these oh, listeners. <laughs> he can't Oh my around. God, like, if you don't follow my Twitter, I'm going to, like, what am I even doing? Look, Plane Trades and Automobiles is not a movie you think about on a daily basis for most of us when we're thinking uh, iconic it's movie been, soundtracks. It's been a few years since I've seen it, but it's really funny. Like, I remember it being hilarious. It's a great movie, but of all of his movies, it's probably the last one I would think, ooh, great soundtrack. 
It's just not what I'm thinking of when right. I think of that movie. So when I think of John right. Hughes soundtracks, I again think of like yes. movies about kids. Well, you think of Weird Science. I do. <laughs> Please. <laughs> you think two words: Weird Science. <laughs> I, in fairness, I'm thinking about Weird Science most of the day. That's that's like, fair enough. So I was first introduced mm-hmm. to Weird Science through the yes. show that was on USA, and then went back and saw mm-hmm. the movies. Is that Actually, strange to me how few of his films they attempted to make into shows. Because today it would be 100% of them. I wonder if that's not, it'd be every every single one of them. There would be. And in the 90s. I mean, there still yeah. might be. That's how that's how much they should be. Like The yeah. Breakfast Club might, it is it in development that's somewhere. such an I'm easy sure. one. Yeah. I'm like, if not, I, I volunteer. Yeah. I'll, like I'll, yeah. we'll I'll, we'll make me an EP and then uh, we'll 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 roll from there. It's you, mm-hmm. Lauren uh-huh. Graham. <laughs> Get out of here, yeah. And Josh Jackson. It's great. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the triumph. I just got so three. excited. Right, finally, we're reunited. Oh, I got so excited. <laughs> well, Grant, great job. You you. No, it wasn't. Thank <laughs> you for saying that, but no, it wasn't. Hey, you got Ferris Bueller's Day Off in under six seconds. I think that deserves a round of applause. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Good Thank work. you. Good I, I was I was two for five, which is a failing grade, but we're not going to worry too much about that. But you know what? You showed your work and we saw the effort. So we really, you know, we here mm-hmm, at We mm-hmm. Stand University, we applaud. Yeah, it's kind of a Montessori mm-hmm. school here. You know, we just are sort of like, you get an apple. We're going to lay down on the ground for a little while. Mm-hmm. It'll be terrific. Mm-hmm. We've got mats. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Stan Stans, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
All right. We are back. And I, I, I learned a lot this week researching for okay. the podcast. All you right. know, when we said we were going to talk about John Hughes, I was like, okay, cool. I know my man, John. I've written an essay about him to get into film camp. I'm ready. But the f- fact is, I, I still have so much to learn about him. And and this week preparing for this episode was humbling because I, I it really reminded me that we never stop learning. You can't ever master a subject. Um now I, like I, weird science. Like weird science, right? So, you know, we all know John Hughes was a prolific filmmaker and his influence on cinema is undeniable. Um even if you're not a fan of his work, I'm sure everyone who's listening, you're a fan of someone's work. Who is a fan of his work from Kevin Smith to Judd Apatow to M.H. Murray to Kelly Froman Craig and beyond. His mark has been left, um, even though he, you know, passed away all too soon. But what I didn't know before this week was that in addition to all of his films I knew about, he also wrote films under a pen name. He penned movies i I didn't know this and i can't believe i didn't know this under the name edmund dantes which is the protagonist (laughs) of uh the 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 novel the count of monte cristo and the movies that are credited to his (laughs) i'm making a jack off motion right now (laughs) the movies that (laughs) are credited to this name are beethoven drillbit taylor and made in manhattan okay I didn't know about. I didn't realize Made in Manhattan was was one of those. me either. Because I knew I knew about the Beethoven one because I think in later movies he got like story credits and I don't think he it, dropped that. He yeah, dropped. Yeah. They just like put his regular name in. So like I knew about Beethoven. He said, well, how are we going to sell Beethoven? Right. So been, like, but I had no idea about the Made in Manhattan. The Made in Manhattan one was truly, truly, truly. I had no idea, and so I was like, well, why would he do this? And I. I've, the only real write-up I could find was an article from Bustle written by a guy named Johnny Bryson. So, Johnny, if you're listening, hello. Um, and in this Bustle article, they were it was really, really short. Um, but <laughs> it basically was like, the theory is that he didn't want to tarnish his brand with less impressive work. But he... Hey, man. <laughs> you know what? There's not a gun to your head. Yeah, then write it better. What do you want? <laughs> well, <I'm> just... <laughs> write it. Better. I don't know. Hey, here's a challenge. Write a good book, like, dumbass. But the thing is, is I think, like, I was thinking about it as I was researching, and it was like, I think it's actually less about it being less impressive and more about it being, like, a how much of his original idea made it to the final product. That, okay. Because in most, in all three of these instances, I think he wrote a screenplay that was purchased by a studio and then he kind of left the project. So that's my theory. My theory is that it didn't actually have anything to do with how prestigious the films were or how good he thought they were, but it had everything to do with the fact that like he was being paid, I'm sure handsomely for something that I don't think he felt he actually had much like autonomy. Like, I don't think he actually felt like he, his voice was present in the final product. That's my theory, but I'm curious what you all think or if you have mm-hmm. any ideas. I'm reaching back in my memory. I mm-hmm. don't think I've seen Made in Manhattan. Is that the one when Jennifer Lopez is about to get hit with a with a 
dumpster and gets saved. And then <laughs> no, she that is wedding planner. That's my, no, that's, that's the wedding, wedding planner. planner. The maid of Manhattan okay. one is when she is playing a maid in Manhattan. Um, sure. and but she pretend, but but she's like dressing up in a in a guest outfit and Rafe Fiennes, who I think is maybe running for political office, mistakes her for a guest and they fall in love and yeah. Cinderella. Mm-hmm. We're doing, it's we're it's doing Cinderella. Cinderella. We're doing right, Cinderella right. for sure. Um, but yeah, because I realized that these films, he gets a story credit, not a written by credit. So that's my theory. <laughs> Interesting. It's amazing how many movies he's written that are in what I would call the dry bar mm-hmm. oeuvre, mm-hmm. which is movies that are played at the beauty salon dry bar. And they're played on mute, sometimes with closed captions, sometimes not. And you're just supposed to know yeah. what happened. And I, I consider that the highest art form. So credits to him. I'm just thinking, like, there's a lot of movies that he has his name on that can't, uh, have to be worse than Made in Manhattan. Like, it's, right. Home yeah. Alone 3 sucks. Uh, <laughs> which is why, which is why yeah. I refute this theory on the internet that it had anything to do with him being embarrassed or ashamed. The, qu- right? the actual quality of the ultimate. Because if that's the case... Brother, you like Flubber. You you missed out a couple of these. <laughs> well, Flubber is so. F- I was like super fascinated about because I hadn't um, realized that Flubber was part of like a joint endeavor that when he left Hollywood and re and and moved back to like the suburbs of Chicago, um, he and a business where partner- he should have stayed. Well, you know, I find, I'm like totally fascinated by John Hughes in in a new way. Where like I want a documentary and I want to know everything about all of his decision-making processes because when he was living in Chicago briefly he was working with a producing partner to have a production company and Flubber was one of the movies like it was all supposed to be like family-friendly entertainment and stuff but pretty quickly that partnership dissolved and it Mm. didn't love to know why I want to know everything about it and I don't you can't really get a sense also because I think Hughes died really relatively young. He was only 59. He died in 2009. Yeah. And so I also think it was like, you know, 2009 was recent, but like, I feel like it was also long enough ago and he was old enough at the time that like, there's not yeah. a ton of, like, he wasn't like on social media. He wasn't like sharing stuff. Yeah. So like, I think people out of respect, you know, don't throw stuff out there. And he'd have been great on social media. I think he would have been really, he would have been a fun Twitter follow. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because what you're describing, Lauren, is reminding, like, the idea of like, he has this other pen name and it's like kind of unclear mm-hmm. what he's doing with it, but he feels like he needs that. This reminds me of a pho- phenomenon in comedy that's a little before your time, Lauren and Grant. I don't know if you remember this. When Twitter like was first coming out, and everyone had their normal Twitter. And then there was this era for about one year where every comedian also had a joke Twitter. Oh, yeah. I do remember this. I, do, I mean, I totally remember So it this. would be like, I understand why that happened. It, because people were used to doing like mm-hmm. Facebook statuses. So they were like, well, my normal Twitter will be about telling people how I'm going to Trader Joe's. And then I'll have this joke Twitter that's, you know, incisive uh, comedy about the... Uh, drones or whatever <laughs> but like quickly everyone was like oh wait it should all just be the same feed it doesn't make sense but there, there was a logic to it at that time and i kind of wonder if his brain was sort of working the same way it was like well i have two brands mm-hmm. in a way it's like no you don't it's like stephen king is is my go-to example mm-hmm. of someone who's like okay you've got this other vibe that you go for uh that's right. almost always just 
kind of worse. That's always like, yeah. it's like, oh, it's just kind of not as good. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we love your main stuff. And then when you try and do other stuff, you're not as good at that. I don't know. Well, I also wonder sometimes like if we as like fans and consumers of it, like want a bigger story when in reality, it's like just a business decision. And it's yeah. like, these checks are just getting cashed in a different way. <laughs> like Different people have a stake in it, especially once you, I don't know start having production companies and different people own different parts of your property. Yeah. Talking about like, like Lauren Graham is an EP yeah. on, on Mighty Ducks. She didn't, she wasn't calling the shots. She like she, her in her contract to appear on the show. She gets an EP show. She yeah. can double dip on that money. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all, the world is so boring and bad all the time. <laughs> There's never an interesting story. But the name he chose being Edmond Dantes is a, it's a little much, Jay. A little much. Come on. To to write Drillbit Taylor with. Well, which is what is so wild to me is that that is his last, mm-hmm. like, credit before he died is Drillbit Taylor as Edmund Dantes. <laughs> That's so... I mean, look, time comes for us all and that the man's, the man's passed on, so I don't want to... But boy, did he fall off towards the end. Like, he had a, he had a heyday and then bye-bye. And I like him. This is me. This is a show about me standing someone. I like John Hughes. Oh, no. So we absolutely stand John Hughes. But this is actually kind of a nice segue into our next game, which is what coulda and shoulda. Because in going into a deep dive of his catalog, I he had an enormous amount of unproduced screenplays that had been purchased and optioned and developed and stuff like that. And I'm sure like, the list that we know about that's on the internet is probably pales in comparison to the amount of stuff he was writing and developing. Like he just had so much. Um, but looking at the list of the films um, that are known, but not made, I picked a couple titles that I'm the in most. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have. You're glad I'm here. I love it. <laughs> Um, but I picked a couple titles that I think are the most interesting. So I'm going to give you the title and what information we have about them. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you both what you think these would have okay. happened in them. And maybe if you have ideas about who may have been in them, I'll give you the year that they were like um, supposedly penned. You tell me who you think was going to star in it, who you think, everything. Oh, wow. Oh, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Hell yes. I love this. <laughs> this is great. All right. So this first one. I wish I could have seen it. It was called Oil and Vinegar. And the logline is, a soon-to-be-married man and a hitchhiking girl end up talking about their lives during the length of a car ride. This was was purchased in 1987. Mm. Wow. A soon-to-be-married man and a hitchhiking girl. So Mm -hmm. these are... I hear age difference when I I hear that. That sounds like, oh, brother. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know why I flashed on Richard Dreyfus. Oh, wow. That's okay. an energy. That's an energy. Okay. Okay. Who I don't think he ever actually worked with, but seems like the kind of guy who would pick up a young woman and tell her about uh, how he's mm-hmm. dreading his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's some real Mr. Holland's opus there. Now, mm-hmm. who do we have for the gal? She can't be like inappropriately young, but it has to be a young, I'm right. 20, 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do we think? Who, who, I, th- you know, I think I'm off on my ears on this. Caitlin, you, you, you're going to know the answer to this. Uh, 
the, the woman in Star Trek for the voyage home, who is the whale expert, that actress, Catherine I, Hicks. I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to say a young Catherine Hicks would be, would be good in that. Catherine Hicks, who is the mom from seventh heaven. Um, mm-hmm. She is the mom in seventh heaven. Yes. Ugh. Yes. Wow. Uh, that shows a wreck. Hicks and Dreyfus in a car. I would have watched that. That's terrible casting. Now that I say that, like, well, no one would sit. Catherine Hicks has been exposed to such toxicity in her life from being William Shatner's 20 year younger love interest to everything about Seventh Heaven. Seventh Heaven, boy. We need to give her a break. Yeah, that's, I, 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 um. What about, and I don't know that they ever worked together, a young Marissa Tomei. Ooh, I'm listening. Would be great. I mean, Marissa Tomei is a treasure. It's good in everything. Wow. Wow. Okay, I love it. You sold me. All right, we're going to go back in time and make that happen. All yeah. right. Now, this next one is one I am truly, like, bereft we didn't get. Because in 1983, Aaron Spelling Productions purchased his film, Debs, which was a satire on Texas debutantes. Oh, that's what a great idea. My God. The fact that this Ooh. could have been something we could have all grown up on. is Oh, that would have been so good. Right? In 83. In okay. 83. So, so this is early. We need, we need gals that would have been yeah. like, what, 16 and 83 or could play 16 and 83. Yes. Woo. Mm-hmm. This is a tough assignment. Well, Molly Ringwald. <laughs> I <would laughs> Obviously. Say, I would say probably Molly Ringwald. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, Jane Krakowski. We're getting her in there. Oh, oh incredible. Wow. Incredible. That's wow. done. Yeah, doing weird science, Kim Cattrall. <gasps> Kim Cattrall would have been so good. Has there ever been a Cattrall Krakowski vehicle? Because what are we doing? That is, I mean, <laughs> again, what a great pitch. Holy hell. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Annie Potts. What is Annie Potts for if not for? Oh, Annie Potts is a great answer. Yeah. Oh, man. And I also feel like Mr. Mom star Michael Keaton should have been in this. He would be like a reporter, like mm-hmm. from L.A. or New York, who's there to like, what is all this Deb stuff about? He would have been spending all this money on these debutante balls. Yeah. I don't approve. Yeah. And then it turns out he does approve in the end. Yeah. yeah. They should be going to Northwestern for journalism. He would have somehow <laughs> been our like fish out of water, you know, entry point. We'd love it. Um, okay, incredible. This is, ugh, I'm, I'm so sad it doesn't exist. All right, here's another one that I, when I when I read about this, I was like, oh my God, this probably would have been my favorite movie. But in 1996, he had a screenplay called Tickets that was about teenagers waiting overnight for free tickets to a farewell concert. Oh Not only who should have been in this, but what farewell concert, like what kind of band were we in yeah. line for, so right? It's 96, it's 96. <sighs> So it's it, it it needs to be a band of people, but it can't be like a bunch of fucking old guys. It can't yeah. be like the Stones because who? Well, it might have been, and that might be why it didn't get made. Yeah. Uh, but it would like ninety six, like four non blondes. <laughs> yeah. Or you know or, that's what I'm interested in. What's the venue too? Because mm-hmm. is it? Madison Square Garden, or is it the Beacon? Like, what what kind of teens are we dealing with here? Great question. I'll bet. I'll bet Beacon teens. I'll bet. Like that's that's why <laughs> we got Beacon be. teens. We got some folks. Yeah. We got Beacon teens. Um, then it could be like a four non blondes. It could be like 
I mean, you want to know super specific, it could be like an Indigo Girls. Mm. Oh, wow. man. And then I, we got, I want to go to that show. Yeah. And then that we got, sounds great. Then we got a lesbian teen movie, folks. Wow. That's a great, I mean, that make been, that movie now. Yeah. Again, these are excellent. You know, the, you know what I immediately went to when I was reading about this? And the movie that I wrote in my brain was, it's like a New Kids on the Block situation. Sure. That could be fun if it's okay. It's 96 and they're 16, but they haven't been friends since like sixth grade when mm-hmm. they were all really into new kids. Yes. So they have to come back. We're mm-hmm. all going to come and do this. And yeah. then it's like there are seniors in high school and they're all about to go off in different directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Exactly. Maybe like one of their moms set it up for them. And it's like no one wants to be like mean to Trisha's mom. So we'll like go. Yeah. Yeah. But- and the cast would be, let's see, 96. Like maybe like Donald Faison. Ooh. Oh, Faison's there. I mean, I'm do now I'm just falling, but like Brittany Murphy. I know. It does have to be Murphy. It does have to uh, be Brittany Murphy. Mary Cherry from uh Popular. What's her name? Wow, I'm I'm not sure. I don't know that I even know the reference. There's a show called Popular. It's excellent. It's uh, Brian Murphy's best work. He should have stopped after Popular. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I know. That's a whole yes. other episode we have to look into. But um I was immediately thinking like a like a like a Rachel Lee Cook. Oh, what about Heather? Uh, what's her last name? Welcome to the Dollhouse. Oh yeah, Heather Metalino. Oh, what is her last name? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, great answer. Oh, and she'd be yeah, she's perfect. She'd be that. great. She'd be great. Oh, we love that. Lauren, I'm sorry. Who did you say? I flashed on. I flashed on the Dollhouse for a moment. Oh, I was saying Rachel Lee Cook was someone that I uh, thought about. Also great. Because she kind of oh. feels like at the time would have been the one that was like, yeah, mom, like no one's going to come. Like you, like she yeah. feels like, like an underdog type that wouldn't think anyone was going to come and then people come and it's like, wow, we came. Gabrielle Union probably booked it too. Yeah, Gabrielle Union booked this movie and then didn't do it for someone and it <laughs> something <laughs> else. <laughs> she was like, I'd rather not. Yeah. She's like, she I'd actually shut it down. Wade. Yeah, she actually shut it down. She's actually why it didn't get produced. She was like, mm, it changed my mind. Um, all right. That that that's a movie that needs to get written. Um, okay, here's another interesting thing that I found out. Prior to the 2000 live action film getting produced, John Hughes was actually taking meetings at studios trying to pitch an adaptation of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And so he was he was out there in 1998, two years before we got the Jim Carrey version. And I'm curious, how would his Grinch have been different from the one we got? Well, I don't think he cast Jim Carrey. Yeah, absolutely not. Who who would he cast as a, I mean, I mean, you know, who'd be great at it would be like James Spader. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. I feel like it would be really good as as a John Hughes Grinch. <laughs> uh, yeah, Spader would have been iconic. I was thinking uh, Judd Nelson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Honestly, I'll bet it would be a lot about the Who's. Mm, I'll bet, like, the difference, it'd be mostly about, like, Cindy Lou Who. Mm -hmm. And and the Grinch would kind of be a big bad, but it'd be more like her movie than our our Grinch. Totally. Uh, The Grinch we all love. The Jim Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't get enough of that Grinch. Oh, my God. And now that you say that, Grant, Andrew McCarthy would have played like Cindy Lou's like dad. It would have been like a it would have been a father-daughter story for sure. Yeah. Oh, that would have been wonderful. Yeah. 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 Oh, that would have been nice. It's, I mean, I mostly think about John Hughes 
at Christmas. Yeah. Because mm. uh, because of Home Alone. Right. Um, okay. Which is, uh, my mom has a thing where every Christmas, she says every Christmas we, we watch Home Alone, even though I think we've done that like twice. Yeah. Uh, but it now it's turned into a thing. Yeah. Where yeah. It's, where yeah. Now, well, now we do it. I just get the warmest feelings from John Hughes almost exclusively because of uh, Home Alone. And I'm surprised he really only has two, like, Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. He's got Christmas Vacation, and he's got, well, he's got, I guess, the Home Alone series. Right. Um, but Alone. nothing else, really. Like, that yeah. would have been wonderful. Yeah. I'm sorry, we don't have that. Me too. I'm bummed. I barely even know what the Grinch is because without without a John Hughes version of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, how would I ever know to associate that with Christmas? <laughs> exactly. There's exactly. no clues. There's, There's no, no clues. clues. There's no clues. All right. This last one uh, is one of the last films uh, that he sold, but it sadly never got made. But in 2003, he sold a film uh, script called Grisby's Go Broke. A wealthy family lose their fortune, forcing them to move to the other side of the tracks during Christmas. Oh, would you look at wow. that? Would you look at what a good guest I am setting that up? Yeah. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, automatically, I think of Catherine O'Hara. A hundred percent. I mean, it's that uh, we got Home Alone and we got Shit's Creek, and that's kind of like Home yeah. Alone and Shit's Creek doing the thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you could do worse than Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy in these roles. Yeah. You know what I love about his, two of his movies that I didn't even realize he wrote both of them before we were researching for the podcast in Beethoven and mm-hmm. in Christmas Vacation. He has. A couple that lives next door that are yuppies that don't like kids or dogs. Mm. And I absolutely aspire to audition and book one of those roles one day. Uh, Huge shout out to David Duchovny and Patricia Heaton, who play the role in (gasps) Beethoven. And to Julie Louis-Dreyfus and Nicholas Guest, who play them uh, in Christmas Vacation. They they are my icons, all of them. so I would love to see him because he always has those types of characters mm-hmm. really like then start to be on their side. I think it'd be really funny. Yeah, I am a yuppie who hates kids and dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I want. Yeah, like celebrate us. <laughs> I don't. It's not enough that these movies are just for white upper middle class people. <laughs> Make them with my interests and actually have the characters have my name so I know who have them, yeah, write, a, write a character named Grant O'Brien who wishes mm-hmm. his friends would stop having kids mm-hmm. so that they can hang out yep. all night long. Agreed. Wait, I just got myself excited thinking about something. So I... I'm, no one else but Catherine O'Hara would have starred in this film. You can't tell me no. anything else. But in this film, I think having to move to the other side of the tracks during Christmas reveals to the family that mom and dad are broken up. So this is also like a second chance at love film for Catherine O'Hara. And oh. her other side of the tracks love interest is Curly Sue star Jim Belushi. Wow. Wow. Jim Belushi is who I buy weed from. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, well, I guess I don't buy it from him, but I buy his weed brand mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I have the warmest feelings towards Jim Belushi. <laughs> and I I mean, I recommend it. If anyone, if anyone wants a good smoke, Jim Belushi's weed is really good. <laughs> he's also funny on Twitter and he's looking to get more Albanians following him. So if mm-hmm. you are Albanian and you're listening to this, follow him. He's looking to do a mutuals. I don't know. I just feel like that's a that's a duo I've never seen before, and something tells me they would have been great together. I it still could be could Any be time. Yeah, that's true. That's something. I mean, hey. I'd watch. 
<laughs> John, write that movie. I'd watch. Okay. Now, here's the deal. We've talked about oil and vinegar. We've talked about Debs. We've talked about tickets. We've talked about the Grinch. We've talked about Grisby's. If you could pick one of these to green light today, which of these movies that we've just discussed are you most interested in having produced? If I mean, it was or, today, in if, today, in 2021, you know, for whatever reason, Fox Searchlight Production says, you know what? Here, we're going to produce one of these. It's, it's really funny to imagine Fox Searchlight making the Grinch. <laughs> like, um, I mean, we cast Catherine O'Hara, so I think, I mean, I don't, I'm going to say, I'm going to say uh, Grimsby's. Grimsby's yeah. go broke. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I think Debs would be a lot of fun. And yeah. Debs, oh, Debs would be great. can easily be cast with a very diverse cast, yeah. which is obviously like an issue in the John Hughes oeuvre, mm -hmm. that it's completely white, but Debs Massive, is like instantly, massively white. easily yeah. updated. Yeah. Totally. Uh, that, I bet that script is still like someone owns Debs and they're yeah. sitting on that. And that's if Tori uh, Spelling knew what was good for her, she'd grab it from her that's dad's right. vault. Yeah, that's right. Because it's still it's that spelling you said. Yeah, she'd she'd grab yeah. that script from her mom's garage and she'd cast herself as one of the moms. Yes, but she. What was the first part of that, that sentence, Lauren, that you said? That you know is not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the world's biggest if. <laughs> that's. You know. Instead, she's going to have nine more children and eight more podcasts with Jenny Garth <laughs> that we don't listen to. And if we don't listen to them, people aren't listening to them. <laughs> it's true. You know, before before today's episode, I, I, I would have thought I'd be going with you on the Debs train. But I think I've talked myself into tickets. The teens waiting tickets for tickets. Tickets is a great idea. These are all, well... Three of these are excellent <laughs> ideas. Yeah. And and two of them would have made money at the time. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, John Hughes is a fucking master. He was a master. He's a genius. And if and like I said before we started playing what coulda and shoulda, these are just the ones we know about. How many more were just like sitting in his office or how many more? Like, my God, the man just had so many ideas. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for so much for playing. Thank you for having my, me uh, play this game. This is, this is, this is I, like, I want to sit and think about other John Hughes movies, mostly because I, I wish I was still young. Don't we all? <sighs> you know, I think I, yeah. one of my, one of my dreams is to, to work on a TV show where I can do a John Hughes episode just like they did on uh, One Tree Hill. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I want to have that kind of power. <laughs> You guys, Surrey Cruz recently turned 15 years old. Yes, We're old. Did. It's we done. Are. Okay. Well. And would be great in a movie like this. <gasps> like, like, yeah. like, put, like, tickets is sitting there ready for Surrey Cruz to be Oh, cast. my God. And Katie could play her mom. All right. Um, we have to take a quick break. I've got a phone call to make, and we'll be right back. All right. Katie didn't say no. We might be on to something. <laughs> she also um, didn't answer the phone, but she didn't say no. It's crazy you have her number. It Well, yeah. And have used it for this, and that's it. Is it the only reason? I suppose, it's no, incredibly I'm, on brand. It's incredibly on brand. It's actually incredibly on brand. Um, all right. I, I have a thesis to present, mm -hmm. and it it's my first ever confession on this show. Ooh, because okay. Grant pitched us this this topic and we were both really excited, but I knew I was going to have to confront something. Um, a movie that I've 
actually never seen, have almost certainly pretended to have seen it in social situations as an adult because it's just too much to go into that I hadn't seen it before. I pretty much thought I knew what happened in the movie. So I was just rolling on. But I'm like, I cannot go on this podcast and say I'm a professor of pop culture and I hadn't ever seen Pretty in Pink. <laughs> I had never seen it. And I've seen Breakfast Club a million mm -hmm. times. I've seen 16 Candles a million times. Like, And it's just, there was no reason ever. It was nothing I was avoiding. It just didn't happen. So that just didn't happen. I actually even... Even telling Lauren this, I was like, mm -hmm. I bet I'll start watching it and I have seen it. No, I have not seen a one frame of this film. Well, and because of that, I said, well, before you watch it, please type up what you think the movie's about before you watch it. <gasps> yes. And so audience, listeners, Grant, yes. I can tell you I am looking at it. And there's a huge, there's a huge mistake. There's mm -hmm. a huge misunderstanding. <laughs> Caitlin, can you please read what you wrote before the movie yes. watching experience? <laughs> what I think happens in Pretty in Pink. Molly Ringwald <laughs> is an older high school student, older than 16, and she is deciding between John Cryer, who is her friend, his name is Ducky maybe, and James Spader, who is from Stargate. She chooses Spader, <laughs> and that made some people upset. In the pilot of Buffy, Cordelia quizzes Buffy and says, James Spader, and Buffy says, needs to call me. This never made sense to me, so I'm hoping this film sheds some light. Why is it called Pretty in Pink? I'm guessing she wears pink at some point. Or someone says that to her. It's not clear to me. Is there a prom in this movie, maybe? I certainly hope so. <laughs> now, having seen it, you can see the one big error that I made. Other than the James Spader error, though, I have to say you nailed... Your guesses were great everywhere else. Well, and I would say... So for the listeners that haven't seen this movie the, the part that i thought was james spader's andrew mccarthy mm -hmm. james spader is andrew mccarthy's friend who's just like kind of uh, an asshole um and i have some questions about that character in general i also just took notes uh while i was watching it so i'll, I'll read you some of those and please mm -hmm. stop me mm -hmm. uh when you have a question right. <laughs> these are my notes wow this is real pretty in pink <laughs> <laughs> Annie Potts. <laughs> Ducky dresses like me, kind of. I have a question about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how much do you think? Because Ducky dresses like me, kind of, also. And I wonder <laughs> how much of of where we like people of of our generation get our dress from people who. So the way that I dress, I'm a relatively conservative dresser. Uh, and But what I mean by that is I dress like people dressed in the 80s when they <laughs> thought it was like with what, for, with what they thought was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder if like the people that made Pretty in Pink didn't dress Ducky and be like, well, this was me in high school. So we're going to we're going to make him actually look pretty cool. And so I wonder if, if we're just not doing reverberations of Ducky through the ages. Mm. I think so. And I think there's like a lot of like people who are probably professional writers. Like it's sort of androgynous. It also like can work on a lot of different body types. Yeah. I know what you mean. Not, like, I'm similar in that like I don't like to have like a bunch of different flashy things. But like, I, what I mean is specifically like his jackets and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remind me of pieces I have. One thing pops and then the rest is then uh, chilled yeah. out. He, I mean it is great. The yeah. dude looks cool. Yeah. And I love sunglasses. I don't have similar ones to him, but I love a sunglass. Mm -hmm. So then I said, teacher is Blair's mom. Wow. Mm -hmm. 
what can't Annie Potts do? Kids who work at cool stores. A thing? Because this is my question. Like, she mm-hmm. works at the record store. It's, like, so cool. But, it's, like, it's cool. did you guys have a cool job when you were in high school? I had two jobs in high school. Yeah. I was a paper boy from middle school to the end of high school. Wow. Uh, and then I was a waiter at Bob Evans Restaurant. Oh, my God. Bob Evans. Uh, I I did such a bad job. My first busy breakfast that a uh, group of mean college students uh, left me one cent on the check and wrote, go fuck yourself with the crayons on the table. And they were right. I really fucked up their table. Wow. It It's just so funny. It To me, and I'll get to this later, but mm-hmm. the thing I really liked about the movie is it comes from such a working class perspective. Yes. But mm-hmm. then the job is like so fun. That is so like... Um, it's like a low stakes aspirational thing that I think I associate with John Hughes movies. Mm. It's it's not like, wow, she's rich beyond, you know, her dreams and she can get anything. More. It's like, no, she has to work, but it's cool. You said it exactly. Like it makes jobs aspirational and that's yeah. nice. That's a nice thing for a teen movie to do. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I'd ever want a cool job because I never want someone to like come see me at work. I want to I want to be left alone when I'm at my job. That is a really interesting point. Uh, Then I wrote, "Okay, Andrew McCarthy is here now. (laughs) So that's when I started to think I was wrong. (laughs) Um, Even though actually I already kind of knew because Spader is introduced earlier and you're like, no, this isn't the guy. It can't be. Yeah. And then. She says, it's hot, white hot, talking about an album. I thought that was really interesting because she uses hot like it will be used later, like 15 years later, like that's yeah. hot. Um, I, which brings me back to, I do think this movie was like kernels for like cool kid culture. Going oh. for, like, like you see like Empire Records in this. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, uh, it overall felt a lot cooler of yes. a film than 16 Candles and Breakfast Club to me. It's so much better than 16 Candles by, like, by... Yes. By a million. 16 Candles is bad. It's not like a million things happen, but it, it has a working mm-hmm. class point of view. It's pretty. Like, someone thought about the aesthetic. And pen- like, the shots look really good. Well, it also, like, I think, like, to your point about, even though, like, it's your office school, like, I think, like, the record store allows the point of view to expand so that, like, it's not just, like, kids and like adults in a school because Andy Potts gives us this into this other cooler edgy world because she's not a high school student it's it's not about school really it's interesting that the culmination is at the prom because it's it's so little about existing in school yeah that's such a good point it is because most high school students like their world is beyond just high school like I had friends that weren't at my high school I think I think a lot of students do um and there isn't a lot of stuff about that like there aren't a lot of that's probably not true i'm just not thinking i can't like nothing comes to mind of like oh these are my friends from school and these are my friends from work and i'm they're both separate groups yeah yeah Yeah. and i think that's a later high school thing which is being represented Mm -hmm. in this movie. yeah well and it's also part of that thing of like them they go to a school where they don't feel like they fit in right so Mm -hmm. like they have to find their community elsewhere. Yeah. 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 Um, I wrote OMG proto aim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, oh my God, her pick is on the computer. And this reminded me of 
Gen Z makes fun of millennials for using uh, too many gifts on Twitter and stuff. But it's I know why I do it. It's because it still amazes me that I can get a little image <laughs> on my dang computer and I can message a friend and it's Beyonce. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, like they just don't know where we've been. No, they don't know. <laughs> but somehow he has a pixelation of her on an Apple II. It doesn't actually make sense. Mm-hmm. I got called out by a kid I was working with not too long ago for using emojis in yes. when I text. Yeah, yeah. too. And that like, too. I didn't know that was done. Fuck, man. No, they it's don't, not they done. Didn't, and I wasn't doing like a mom thing. I was like finishing with a thumbs up and then like, there's the emojis. I, look, I don't care if it's a mom thing or not. It's fucking magical and it's not my fault. They just don't get you it. You don't get that. So sorry. I used to have to wait for it, my internet to dial up. Yeah, you couldn't do it. You were waiting for a call from your aunt. No one could be yeah. online. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll move through some of these. Uh, Cryer and Stanton, amazing mm-hmm. scene. Mm. Uh, very funny. That is uh, a good scene. I love the little kid in the record store with the glasses. Uh, joking about Lionel Richie and Madonna not being cool. That made no sense. They are cool. Um, this is not a school movie. I wrote again. This feels like a play sometimes. I don't mean that in a bad way. Um. Okay, so Spader and McCarthy do know each other. Hmm. Lol, why is Spader in this movie? Uh, oh, when he says conversing with a mutant, it's so over the top, but I liked it. So over the top. Um, PE uniforms. Mm. You know, was that a thing? Did you guys ever have a PE uniform? I mean, no. you might have to change clothes. But no, like, sure. but I went to an art school that had pictures of David Bowie hanging in our hallway, so I don't know what's but, like, normal. I don't think anyone, I don't think that, I feel like that's a really old thing. I think it's... Out of date I, I can't imagine there being a budget for a school to issue kids PE uniforms. Well, I do think it was a thing, though. I do think it's to set the tone of, like, it's an affluent school that they've been bust into. Right, right. Uh, sure. I think. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of it outside of a film. No, I, like I think the it's idea like the 50s. It. I, it's a private school thing, too. Like a rich kid school. Like, I can think of a couple of schools that I knew of. That had big, where you had like a uniform budget and your gym clothes were part of your uniform budget. I see. Um, Gina Gershon, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And then I put, oh my God, it's Ellen Ty, which the popular girl in this Mm. plays Ellen Ty on Battlestar Galactica. And awesome actress, playing hot girl shit for decades. Good for you. Uh, I love it. This is one I haven't seen in a few years. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I've got to rewatch Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink is good. And 16 Candles is bad. And that's where I've landed yeah. now. Um, if you put out signals you don't want to belong, people will make sure you don't. I was like, damn, that's a quote. Mm-hmm. That's something that's to a think about. Line. That's something to think about. Yep. Uh, I put Molly Ringwald hates John Cryer. This is my belief. Uh, I said, then I said, are Ducky and Andy friends? Because she does hate him. One of those feminine mystique deals that was very funny. I'm going to start going through this faster because <laughs> I do have a lot more. I'll you know I'll put this on the, put this on the blogs. Oh, take the heat was a good advice. Like if you want to do, basically, it's like risk being embarrassed or made fun of by for doing something you want to do. I mm-hmm. like that. Take the heat. That's such. That's so wise. Yeah. That's so good. It really articulates something from youth that I I probably took till I was like thirty two years old to get over. It's like, but what if? But but I other people won't like that I'm making this choice. It's like, well, take the heat. Uh, I love that. Uh, a reference to the Big Chill. Thought that was interesting. I think some of this movie is very influenced by Whit Stillman's movies. Um, 
Interesting. We can circle back to specifically mm-hmm. the Spader and McCarthy stuff. Yeah. I said, should there be a Ducky movie? There should have been. There yeah. would have been yeah. if this movie was made now. Yeah. Then I just wrote the Harry Dean Stanton of it all. Sure. <laughs> I wrote this does not this does not feel like Chicago. It sells me on that the least of his films. It doesn't matter. I don't really care, but which is something we haven't even touched on the fact that all of his films are supposedly in the same fictional part of Illinois. Um, designing that dress at the end would be incredibly difficult. That relies a lot of suspension of disbelief, but whatever. Wait, I have to I ask would, you. Though, it would not have gone great. That dress gets uglier, right? Oh, it's horrible. Okay, it starts cute. She, and she, ends she takes bad. a pretty dress and makes it and ruins unflattering it. and weird. But even okay. to do it at the level that she did. Even if she's a really good teenage seamstress, we extremely do. That's just always been something that baffled me. That's always been the one thing that hurt me about this movie was that I was like, we are all just pretending it got better. It didn't. It was a little odd. I think even for, for the 80s, it was a little a bit of a stretch. When I was a sophomore in high school, I went to prom with a senior named Maria Martinez. Hello. She, she made her dress out of neckties. <gasps> and I always think of her when I watch this and I and I get... I get warm feelings. Um, Andrew McCarthy telling James Spader she thinks your shit is hilarious. Uh, and ultimately, uh, when Ducky is standing there by himself, Christy Swanson yep. uh, hitting on him. And she is credited as Duckett. Yep. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, this this dress looks like shit. What's the, what's, what are these shoulders? It looks like she needs to like hike it up a little bit. The cold shoulder thing, the lace. It doesn't make any sense. It's awful. It's awful. Um, but overall, I enjoyed the film. I think the character of Ducky is interesting, and I think almost should be explored in his own movie. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know that it it works. I, I'd be curious what I thought of it. So when he's watching Breakfast Club and Six and Candles, I was probably a child, yeah, aspirational to being a teen when I saw them, and now I am older than Annie Potts' character almost mm-hmm. certainly. So it's like totally different. But I guess are you guys like mad that she chose Andrew McCarthy or? I know a lot of people are. And she didn't no, choose James no. Spader because he's I, uh wasn't on the it wasn't one of the options. I didn't know that before. <laughs> I'm not mad and I actually have strong thoughts about this. Right. Where I Ducky is one of those characters, and I say this as someone who has said I kind of dress like Ducky. Uh I think that he is the as a character, he is who mean men think that they are like. Uh where like like right. Andrew Stanton is charming and is is a is a charming interesting person and ducky lays it on thick yeah like D- ducky comes on strong yeah and that is typically annoying and yeah and, and, a, and a cover for for the kind of insecurity that makes people mean and andrew stanton doesn't have that he's just a guy who's interested in what he's interested in and so i don't think it's crazy i think i think they were probably a better fit but i don't think that necessarily says any good things about molly ringhold's character i don't uh, yeah i i agree i don't think they andy and ducky are not meant to be together and i think that's part like when i the last time i watched this i can't it was a couple years ago i like saw andy in a different way than i had when i was younger and i saw andy like when you see her hating ducky what i see is a frustration she has of like this expectation that people are telling us that we're on the same level and we should settle for each other 
but I'm not good for you and you're not good for me. So I think to me, when I was watching it, I was like, I see someone who feels herself being pushed in a direction that she right like it's like yeah i could do the, i know exactly what you mean i could yeah. do the easy thing i could start a relationship with you because it's easy and we're on the same level or whatever 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 but that's the easy safe thing and it's not good for either one of us neither it's, one of us are going to push each other where we need to go and picking someone nearby rather than holding out for what you deserve yeah right. and i think she you know i think there's a lot i think you're right i think like i watched ducky now i think john cryer is so good in this movie he is he is the character they're all very they're good. all so good but i think what it, like john Cryer does such a good job of like capturing that like there's so much bravado covering up the like painful 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 insecurity he's just so alone in the world like i think like and it must be so hard too as you get older to like like Andy looks at him, she's like, I've been taking care of you because no one else is. Am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and when people talk about like they should have been together, like the, people like that in it's high school. So people figure it out. But people who keep that like into their 20s are wrecks. And yeah, <laughs> and I didn't like a couple times he would say basically that he deserves to be with mm-hmm. her because he like called it. You know, like yeah, he's been total. a friend for long. And I think we saw a lot of characters like that that were very beloved. And it's it's only started to die out in like the last 10 years. Like, I feel like around 2007, there was a big onslaught of this. Like the George O'Malley from Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, Jim from The Office. It's yeah. like, you should sympathize with me because this is something I really want is this to be with this person. It's it's nice guy syndrome. Yeah. It's like, well, I deserve this woman because I'm I'm such a nice guy. Which is why I love that Andy doesn't that they don't end up yeah. together. I love it's, it. But I would totally watch a college or whatever his next stage is Ducky movie. Because 100%. he's capable of change. Yes. Unlike some oh, of those it's a other fascinating characters. character. It's, it is. A, I mean, he's he's the strongest character yeah. in that movie. And his acting. I mean, that scene with Harry. Dean Stanton is amazing. Ugh. They just are good. They're, They're just so really good. good. Yeah. Pretty in Pink is probably my favorite John Hughes movie. And I I don't think there's a single character in this movie that I wouldn't have watched an entire film of just that character. Because I think all of them, even Andrew McCarthy's character, which is probably the most boring character in the movie, I would still go on an adventure just with him because I think that they're all... He's fun. He's, he's fun he's to fun. spend time with. Because yeah. he's even because there's this there's a, like a delightful sweetness about him, but yeah. it's not a spineless sweetness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really did shock myself that I have not seen one frame of this film before. Like it wasn't something I've seen twenty minutes of and forgot about. Like I had not seen it. It's easy, I think, with um, as as evidenced by my crashing and burning in that game mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh it's easy to kind of run together like yes. the john hughes brat packy stuff I did, and yeah. there's a lot of brat pack movies yes. that weren't uh, his that feel like they're john hughes movies but aren't yeah right uh, we were talking right before we started recording about say anything yeah which feels like it should be a john hughes movie and isn't yeah um so it's it is like like i have a, a vague picture of high schools in the 80s uh that i just think they all sort of run together a little bit. And I love spending time in most of them. Oh, I love all of them. Like, it broke my brain when I found out he had nothing to do with St. Elmo's Fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another great example. Yeah, St. Elmo's Fire should be a John Hughes movie. Right. It's not. Or, 
Do you remember um, Betsy's wedding with Molly mm-hmm. Ringwald and Ali Sheedy? I do yeah. remember. Oh, no, man. He has nothing to do with that. That's yeah. Alan Alda wrote and directed it. He plays the dad. Yeah. <laughs> with Madeline Kahn, R.I.P. I love Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn is one of the funniest people in the world. Ugh. I don't know. I, there's so much to love about Pretty in Pink. There's so much to love about all of these John Hughes movies because I think, like, there's a... there. Even the worst John Hughes movie has such a honesty to it. Mm-hmm. Even when it's mm-hmm. bad, yeah. it's like... And even when it's problematic and even when there are moments when you, like, cringe... There's a kindness underneath his movies about the world because even the worst villain in a, in the movie, you see the potential to be redeemed. Like, it feels like every bad guy in a John Hughes movie is on the path to learning their lesson afterwards. And right. I think there's it does. something... Yes. It it's so optim... Like, there's an optimism in John Hughes movies that I don't think a lot of um, filmmakers have that I love. It's that warmth that's mm-hmm. so attractive. That's just like, I just like spending time in that world. It's so pleasant. And it just makes so much sense to me because I think one of the things, like, as an in my acting training that I that I heard preached a lot that I don't think is necessarily like lived a lot in art is that you can't judge your characters. And I don't think John Hughes ever judged a single one of his characters. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, I think, I think Mr. Rooney was pro was maybe judged, but uh, <laughs> history has proved John Hughes right on that. Yeah, so, that's true. So that's great. true. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, Stanton's, if you're listening and you're a ducky Stan and you think she should have been in a ducky, DM us. We'll give you a platform on Instagram to go off on six for 60 seconds on why. Because I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Even though Grant has labeled you. Uh, you, uh, you have nice guys. Like, yeah, you've got, you know, yeah, whatever neckbeard thinks they should have ended up with Ducky. Sure. Oh, great. my God. Let's hear it. I actually, please DM us. I actually can't believe we haven't seen a TV show or movie where John Cryer's playing like the guidance counselor or something. Like, I'm shocked that hasn't happened yet. He's probably got more money than God from oh, yeah. all those years on. Like, oh, yeah. Like, I always feel anytime I see a cameo like that, I'm, I was like, Ooh, times are tough for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he seems like someone who like fan. genuinely had so much fun. Play. Like he's done. Du- that's true. He, he's dusted off this character for like late night and stuff like that. So I think it's something that he loves and is proud of, which is the only reason why I'm surprised I haven't we haven't seen it, you know. Well, he's busy into. refuting the stories in Demi Moore's yeah. <laughs> memoir. That's true. That's true. Demi, Demi's kept him busy. Demi claimed that she took his virginity and he was like, no, you didn't. That's so, I love that. I'd forgotten about that. That's and incredible. the thing is, is I believe them both. Yeah, they're both somehow correct. Yeah. it's. I mean, I guess if something's not true about you, you want to correct the record. But I'd love if the story got out about me. Yeah, Demi Moore took my virginity. What an incredible story yeah, to have be, out there. It could be a lot worse. I feel like the reason I think they're both right is I feel like he's mad about it because it speaks to how not present with him she was and like how right. bitter he is still about that it's like i never said that why why did you ever listen to me to me yeah like, it feels like it's like an we old word be nice to me yeah we're part of the brat pack you called me emilio the whole time <laughs> she does love emilio she loves emilio oh this is, I don't know why I'm adding this coda, but I was thinking about it when you talked about uh, uh, the Mighty Ducks. He's not a very good actor. Emilio <laughs> Estevez is not that Ooh. great. Adam? He has a he has a small lane, and when he stays in it, I love it. 
be honest, the Sheen family has a lane. Yeah. Like even Martin Sheen that has the widest, he, it's not, it's not it, an expressway. He, he can't go everywhere he wants. Yeah. He's, it's uh, not that many offerings. Well, to connect this to another name that we said earlier, I will say, I think Emilio's best work was opposite Richard Dreyfus in the stakeout films. <laughs> wow. Madam, Lauren man, Brickman, and <laughs> the credibility is lost of the entire episode. <laughs> like you didn't love another stakeout with Dreyfus, Estevez, and O'Donnell. Come on! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I'm not afraid. Listen, I'll take the heat. Wow, Lauren Brickman, everyone taking the heat, learning lessons from Pretty and Frank, standing right. in your truth. <laughs> <laughs> she believes that Emilio Estevez's best acting work <laughs> is in the stakeout films. Um, on that note, Grant, any anything you want to plug or or where can our stand stands find you? Oh, follow me on social media. You can find my Twitter at Grant OB, and you can follow my Instagram at Pictures of Grant. <laughs> uh, and for God's sakes, let me know if you think Ducky. I'll get into it with you too. If you think Ducky belongs, <laughs> all right. So uh, tag uh, as the guy. As well. Like, let's do it. I'll explain to you why you're wrong, mm-hmm. but let's get into it. It could mm-hmm. be fun, folks. Yeah. Uh, well, you can find us at We Stand Social across all all of the platforms. All the platforms. We're there. We're we're hanging out. Stan stands. If there's a topic you think we should get into, if there's a guest you think we should book, let us know. We want to hear from you. We Stand Social at Gmail Write us some letters. Tell us what you think. Yeah, please. And write a five star review, you know? It doesn't hurt you. Take the heat. Take the heat. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. Later, Stan Sands. Bye. Bye bye.